0: Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you today again. Thank you for joining in. What a privilege to be able to open the Bible together and to study the Word of God. But just before I will uh, mention the members of our panel, I would like to just uh, acknowledge that uh, we, we have a bit of a reduced panel today. I'd like to mention that we want to uplift in our prayers. Uh, uh, Brenton? who's not able to be with us because of uh, surgery, and also thinking of Helen, who takes a bit of a uh, time off now, and Ken is not with us. But it's very good to have uh, with us Will. Thank you for joining, Will. Thank you for the invitation, and it's a pleasure, Nick. Thank you. And also Ligia. Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining us.
1: That's a privilege. Thank you so much. Thank God for that.
0: And Len? Thank
2: you very much, and hello, listeners.
0: Joe, it's good to have you with us today, and particularly because you, I believe, you put a lot of work in preparing this um, Bible study and facilitating today. Welcome to the program.
3: Thank you. Always good to be here.
0: And we no further comments, Joe, if you like to take us through to this uh, Bible study.
3: Yes, thanks, Nick. Um, just uh, quickly, a recap on last week. We discussed the injunction or the command in Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 to 5, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This week we will be discussing another commandment, just like it. But first we're going to ask Lynn if he wouldn't mind praying for us.
2: Yes, I invite you all to bow your heads with me in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, what a wonderful privilege it is to know your word, to know you as our God. And what an awesome responsibility we as a panel have to share this with our listeners. We pray that all of us, listeners and panel, will benefit from this study as we learn more about loving other people the way you wanted it to be. We invite your blessings on each person today and for the Holy Spirit, to impress our hearts with what to do and how to live and to make a commitment to you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
3: Amen. Now, Jesus was going about his day teaching when a group of Sadducees and Pharisees converged on him to ask him some hard questions. Now, we will know from our study of Scripture that they were often trick questions because the Jewish leaders had hoped that Jesus would and trap himself by giving the wrong answer, controversial answer, and then they would gleefully use it to their own advantage to gain prestige among their peers, and then the people might marvel how clever they were. On one such day, Jesus had just effectively answered the Sadducees a question on the resurrection when the Pharisees gathered around and um, they too were going to have a go. Lygia, what, what happened? Would you mind reading the passage in Matthew 22 and let us, yeah, give us the background from scripture.
1: I would like to read Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 till 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments.
3: So where was Jesus quoting from, Lygia?
1: Jesus was quoting from the greatest commandment uh, from the Deuteronomy chapter 6 was was 4 and 5 which mm. was given to the Israelites before this commandment that was given about the shema that you uh, quoted at the beginning of this lesson when Moses was given this law from God to the Israelites he saying that here, or Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So loving God with all our heart, soul, and strength, it's effectively the key affirmation of the Lord as their God, their only God. And uh, based on that great truth, they are called, the Israelites were called to love Him supremely. Mm, this law applies also to us in our days. Absolutely. Then you had you had something to say?
2: Yes, I did. There are many people who have the feeling that this law is the only law they need to be concerned about, and I would like to point out that this is like a headline in the newspaper, and then you have the detail that comes afterward the what jesus quoted has never ever replaced the 10 commandments it's it's a headline statement about the 10 commandments you'll notice that jesus said on these two laws hang all the law so it's simply a a, a broader statement than the specifics that we read about in Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus chapter 20 the law has never been done away with as many people would like to suggest but this is just a broad statement of all the law
3: yes it, it encompasses the Ten Commandments in fact it broadens it doesn't it so that now you would have to consider would this fit into the you know loving my neighbor as to myself and loving God supremely and so it makes the law far more complex than nuanced, rather than just the the plain Ten Commandments, if you like, because the Jews themselves felt that if they, you know, like the uh, rich young ruler, these laws I've kept from my childhood, you know, it's very easy to tick a box and say, yes, I have fulfilled this law and this law, and I'm a pretty good person. But then I think with Jesus summarizing the law the way that he did, um, I think it gives us a lot more to think about and to consider in a way the way that we interact with people nick the pharisee just asked for one law the greatest law what happened what did jesus how did jesus i think we've already established that he um gave him a second just like it mm-hmm. but was this a brand new concept
0: that's interesting uh, joe as you mentioned the new concept we are very interested in new things and always, even we go to the, even to the church with the expectation that we'll hear something new, something, something exciting, you know, something which we haven't heard before. But in this case, um, the interaction in between Jesus and the Pharisees, which they were teachers of the law, the discussion was based on something which was already there for a long time. And, as uh, you mentioned here, they try to trick Jesus to see if he's coming to do uh, or say something which is out of context, which is new, which is not uh, in relation with uh, the teachings of the Lord, Torah. but uh, Jesus was never saying anything like new in a sense that forget about it what was before. This is what I'm telling you. Jesus Jesus was always building on what they knew, what they have already. And in this case, they were so hypocrites because they knew the law and the commandments and how to take care of each other and the neighbors and so on and so forth. But they didn't because they were able to find all the ways how to avoid that responsibility. And of course, Joe, I must say that, yes, Jesus was not teaching anything new. Uh, to them. Jesus answered uh, but then he he went on to give you know a bonus a commandment to ask you know the second commandment like this is to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean and the question is probably we ask today the same one who is our neighbor who is my neighbor? Are we talking about just the fellow across the road or beside our house or who is my neighbor? And in, I believe, in the context of the discussion, the neighbour is any human being which we come across, and we are invited here. In Luke ten twenty five, um, that expert in in law you know, who stood up and asked, uh, "What I must do then to inherit eternal life?" Yes,
3: it's interesting that Nick that um, he says, "Love your God with all your with all your heart, with all your strength." And one just like it. It appears that Jesus is putting the two on a par because we often think, oh, you know, if I love God supremely, that fulfills 75, 80, 90% of the law. Mm. But here we are. Jesus is putting the two on a par almost and one just like it. Yes you, know, you think if you think it's important to love God and honor Him and worship Him, well, this is one just like it. This one is that I want you to put your heart and soul into loving your neighbor as yourself, and uh, I think this is something that we as humans in our humanity, struggle the most with to some degree. Mm.
0: But uh, yeah, just to continue because you see that, that this dialogue in between Jesus and the expert in law because he's uh, using all his abilities to put Jesus on the occult position, let's say. But he answered very correctly, you know, when Jesus said what the law says, you are an expert in law. And he gave this answer, you know, to love your neighbor, to love to love your God, you know, first with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and your neighbor as, um, as yourself. And um, uh, Jesus obviously said, you, you said correctly, you know, indeed, you are an expert in law. And he says, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked, and who is my neighbor? That's what, uh, which I mentioned a bit earlier. And if we look in Matthew 7 and verse 12, he explains here, do everything to others, what you would have them to do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And this is very interesting because we want things to be done to ourselves, good things. But when we need to do to others, we think twice, you know, because we uh, it may be in our detriment. It may be, but when we want things to be done to us, whoa boy, uh, do it to us, you know, do it to me, <laughs> um, the best you can. And just uh, very quickly before I'm um, um, I'm stopping on this one, uh, uh, many modern-day Christians, uh, Joe and panel. Uh, who dismiss the, the Old Testament, which they may say is no longer relevant, fail to see that the New Testament is rooted in the Old Testament. In fact, there was no New Testament in Jesus' time. Uh, Jesus was quoting always from uh, the Old Testament, and particularly we are looking in the book of Deuteronomy uh, for this series of Bible study uh, and other books in the Old Testament. The Old Testament particularly the book of Deuteronomy speaks about how we should treat others, particularly those who are less privileged than ourselves.
3: Yes, absolutely. Lynn, here in Matthew, Jesus connects the two principles or laws, loving God and loving people. As humans, we often separate them and forget that they are connected. Um, how are they connected? Would you be able to elaborate on that?
2: Oh, I certainly would. Can you walk on one leg? If you've only got one leg to walk on, you just can't walk. You might be able to hop, but you can't walk on one leg. And I'd like to say, just to give a bit of a modern-day illustration, God's law is not binary. It's not on and off. In other words, you can't love God without loving other people. Otherwise, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. In fact, in the book of 1 John... Chapter 4 and verse 20, it says, If a person says, I love God and hates his brother, and then the Apostle John says, he is a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he's seen, how can he love God whom he hasn't seen?
3: Strong words.
2: Very strong. In fact, it's uh, putting things properly in perspective. In the next chapter of 1 John chapter 5 and verse 2, there's a definition. This is how we know that we love the children of God, in other words other people, by loving God and carrying out his commands. The two are inseparably linked. You can't have one without the other. The Israelites may have kept the law. There is a Quote that I'm going to kind of paraphrase The Lord says You shall be holy for I the Lord Your God am holy and so the Israelites they knew the law They knew who God was They knew how to worship and they Brought all the right kind of offerings And that's great but In the end what good is it If they were mistreating the Weak and poor among them Again and again In the books of the prophets the Lord berates the oppressors of the poor and the needy. How can you be holy and mistreat others at the same time? God questions. And the answer is you can't, regardless of how strictly you adhere to proper religious rituals. So the um, point is here that it's impossible to separate love from God and love to other people, particularly those people who are more needy.
3: It would appear that the two laws, as you've said, Lynn, loving God and loving your neighbour are inseparable. You cannot Mm. truly claim to love God, meanwhile despising your neighbour or even being indifferent to their needs. Now, it's very easy to say, oh, this is a terrible thing that's happened to you. Um, We'll pray for you, you know, and go about your business. It is important that we actually if we can, within our power, act to help rather than just offer lip service of, oh, that's a terrible thing. How sorry to hear that. So um, to be indifferent to their needs, could it also be said then that one cannot truly love and care for their neighbour while hating God? Interesting one to think about. How do you see it? Where does all the love come from? From God. From God. That's a very simple question to answer. Is it possible while not knowing God, because all love comes from God and people don't realize, but an enemy God will not be able to truly love selflessly? So if you're antagonistic toward God, um, are you really going to be able to love someone in a selfless way? How do you see it? I mean, all love comes from God. I mean, of course there are people out there who do not believe in God, but they God and still work through them, but all love comes from God, doesn't it, Lynn?
2: Well, this has been a big question down through the years. And um, those who subscribe to the theory of evolution, and I'm not one of them, really cannot explain where love comes from because the rule of evolution is survival of the fittest, and that doesn't account for caring for the needs of others. The only explanation that the evolutionists give why people will do good to others is for the survival of the species. But that's not a particularly good explanation. We uh, have to conclude that love is an emotion or a feeling or a duty. It's many things that comes from God. Otherwise, we can't explain it. So I do agree that love comes from God because the Bible describes God as love. His being is love.
1: Lygia? This law that God gave to the Israelites in those times, it was for the Israelites to be different than other people. So they were God's ambassadors. They were God's people and they should show to their behavior, to other nations, who is God, the true God. So loving, loving your neighbor. So who is the neighbor? Is the stranger around you? Is the widow, the, or, the orphans, the slaves, the weak, the poor, the outcast, the needy and helpless So, this command applies also to us uh, because love does not abolish the law, but it fulfills it. Mm. If we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our strength, there is possible to love those that are around us because love is embedded in our hearts. And loving God supremely, it means we can love others around us and help them and be there for them. In this way, we show other nations that we are God's ambassadors. Yeah, absolutely. I
3: guess the point that I was trying to make, but not very well, was that a heart which is at enmity with God, will not be able to to show a selfless altruistic love that that kind of love only comes from god and you're absolutely right Lygia. now that god is very uh very concerned that all be treated fairly and mercifully because he is merciful now this idea of equity and being, treating everyone well loving your strength loving the stranger was something that was counterculture at that time. Uh, we know that uh, nations, strong nations, treated cruelly anyone who they conquered. Even in Jesus's day, we know about the Roman Empire. They were one of the cruelest. I think every every empire had its uh, cruelty and its um, you know enslavement of people, displacement of people, abuse of people. Once they become slaves, all their rights were gone and taken away. And so what what Jesus was saying was very counterculture at the time. This was like, well, you're slaves. This is the only right thing to do. You have have no rights at all. And so um, we know that God did not see it that way. And as you said, Jesus, um, Israel were to be his witnesses to the nations around them. They were to be different. They were to show a better way than what the culture of the time was. And God had shown them love by bringing them out of Egypt, by showering them with provisions, food, guidance, protection, shelter from the sun. And um, they were to show that they were to be channels of that love to others.
0: I just want to make this point here. Ligia mentioned, and Joe, you just said uh, a moment ago uh, about uh, Israelites being different, that God called them to be different. And I, I really like to, to make a point here about our own experience today as Christians. Unfortunately, the Jewish nation, the Israelites, they thought and took it for themselves that they are different. They are not like other people. You know, and they put themselves on a different, uh, let's say, exclusivist group, which uh, they belong to God. And I think this is the biggest mistake we can still make today, that we as Christians, we think that we are different than others. We are all humans with the same sinful nature, with the desires And with the potential to be God's people, what Israelites were called to be God's people, to reflect the true character of God, not what the enemy was portraying about God, which is Satan. And that's what we need to do today as Christians. We should be inclusive. We should welcome everybody. And we are talking here about our neighbor And now we may think about that, yes, I may talk to my neighbor from the left, from the right, because they are treating me nice. When I um, come out of the house, they say hello. But I don't want to talk anything about the other neighbor because uh, uh, he's from a different culture or he does different things. I think this is the teaching of Jesus to this lawyer and others in his time, that we should express the love of God, because in John 3.16, God says that God so loved the world that he gave only begotten son for everybody, not just only for the Jews or for the Christians. I think this is the, the point which I will take myself home from this study.
2: You know, we have uh, an example given to us by the life of Jesus and by the words of Jesus, because he did say, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I feel my own imperfections, and I'd like to tell you a little story and uh, about love. We had a fairly new peach tree. It was about five years old. It was called a Hale's Best or Million Dollar, and the peaches were absolutely delicious. One year it was loaded. I looked at it on Friday and I thought to myself, yes, the fruit will be ready on Sunday. I'll pick the fruit on Sunday. Friday night, somebody hopped the back fence and pinched the lot. There wasn't a peach left. We were looking forward to peaches and cream with everything. How did I feel to whoever stole our peaches? Well, I didn't actually feel very... Glad that they did what they did. I felt rather annoyed. And I'm just wondering here, we've got this example, but how does it work out in our lives? I had every reason to be annoyed with whoever stole our peaches. That would have been at least two or three buckets full. So in practice, sometimes to put love into action is a lot harder than it is to put it into words.
4: You know, I think Jesus had the same problem in his day that we have today, and that existed way back in the the times when Israel was in the wilderness and these laws were given. The fact that uh, we tend to look down on those that uh, aren't uh, dressed in splendour, as it were. James 2 actually James chapter 2 actually states that principle. He says, um, if there should come into your assembly, a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, you will pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves? become judges with evil thoughts. You know, he even indicates here that it's not good for us as Christians even to just pray about uh, someone that is in need, send them off to the Lord and leave the situation with the Lord. He he says that, um, let's just see which the text, I think it's verse 16. Yes, he says, and any one of you that says to them, uh, 15, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and, and one of you says to them, departing priests, be warmed and filled. In other words, I'm praying for you. We, it requires us to do far more than just to care for a person at a distance. We ought to do something about it.
3: I guess human need and plight has not changed over the millennia. The search for justice and equity, as we have already alluded to, is an ongoing battle. Sometimes it affects us personally, like missing peaches that you are really, really drooling over and looking forward to eating. But other times it's somewhere far, far away that we don't even feel for these people. I'm talking in terms of refugees and displacement from war-torn countries where there's civil war, where there's corruption, We don't need to elaborate on that because I've only got to put the news on to know what's happening overseas um, with refugees and displaced peoples within the country and moving into other countries. Now we know that anti-corruption committees and task forces, regime changes, all promising justice, a fairer system, but it appears that all human efforts fall short of the ideal.
0: I I just like to mention this. Again, we are talking about the strangers in your gates. And then we, we make so many comments about the neighbor, who is our neighbor. I like to remind you all again that God said, remember that you are strangers in a foreign place. Jesus, uh, God referring to Egypt. And we should remember ourselves as Christians who we were. Before, Even though we may, let's say, be born in a Christian family, but we should have our own experience when we come to know Jesus. And then we should remember who we were before. In my case, for example, I have great sympathy for those people who cannot become victorious over some uh, addictions because I was addicted. And that's what we need to understand. Remember how God pulled you out from those things, how God gave you victory, how God was merciful to you, how God led you. That's what we need to do to our neighbor, to be able to grow together, not to put the stigma, not to put a, uh, just something to say, oh, they are a lost cause or because of whatever background is. They may even show that many people, I come across many people with huge problems, visible, evident in their life. And the tendency is to avoid them, to walk away from them, because it will really uh, give you a lot of trouble, you know, to attend their needs. Are we finding ourselves in this position many times, let's be honest with ourselves because it's very easy to avoid things and you still believe thinking, oh, I'm I'm not, uh, I didn't do anything wrong. I just didn't know all the things they're going through. I think we need to be intentional to look at their needs and what, where they come from because we should look at ourselves, how God worked powerfully in our life.
3: Absolutely, and these principles are not, as you said, just for our neighbours or even the stranger, but Jesus took it up a notch and applied it to our enemies. So that's something to think about as well. Uh, We'll just move on a bit. Will, in Deuteronomy 10, these verses are really action-packed and it gives us a screenshot of his character. Would you mind reading that text to us and just elaborating expressing what it's actually telling us about the God that we worship and him calling us to emulate him.
4: Certainly, Joe. It's interesting that way back in, Deut- in, the, in the time of Deuteronomy already, God was trying to reveal himself as not only a God of justice, they perceived him to be a God of vengeance and of jealous, a jealous God as such. Um, he reveals himself in Deuteronomy 10 verse 17 by saying, for the Lord your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, notice, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. You know, he tells us here that the one and only true God, who, who in reality has all the power in the world, in the universe, and is answerable only to himself, is not corrupt. Instead of being selfishly autocratic, we discover him to be a compassionate and loving God by nature. He does not take advantage of his creatures uh, by virtue of his awesome power of position. Amazingly, he cares in the minutest detail about every one of his creatures. In fact, the Bible says he sees the tiny sparrow fall How much more should we, of course, as his creatures, follow the example of our heavenly Father? You know, it's a really profound for me that the majesty of the universe, Joe and panel and listener, knows and cares about the plight of those even on the margins of society. Colloquially, this is what the Lord is saying to His people, Israel. Okay, maybe you are chosen, maybe you are special. And I love you, but I love others deeply too, including the needy and the helpless among you. And just as I love them, you must love them as well. This is one of the, uh, a part of your covenant obligations and are important to me too. Uh, Joe, I would like to read, if I may, a character reference of the God we serve, which I found in Psalm 146 becomes abundantly clear what sort of God we really have. It says in verse 5, happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever. But notice verse 7 says, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. He watches over the strangers. And of course, strangers feature in our study today. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and the widow. But the way of the wicked, of course, he turns down. You know, I'm strongly drawn to a text in Isaiah 59, verse 1, where it says, Behold, the hand of the Lord is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither is his ear dull or heavy, that it cannot hear. I'm thankful for that. That expresses to me that in, in strong terms what our God is really like. Perhaps one more word, if I may, Joe. I would encourage our listeners to do a search on the Bristol orphanages to discover how a single man and his wife, George Muller, and his wife, Mary, dedicated themselves to caring for orphans and the underprivileged children living in really squalid conditions on the streets of Bristol in 1836. Their compassion for the plight of the needy led them to, notice, taking 30 orphaned girls, and uh, they didn't have a home, so they rented a home for them, for which he had no money, amazingly, and the couple were unsalaried uh, individuals themselves, depending wholly on the goodness of God to supply in their needs. But soon we find him renting another home for boys, and then over the next 60 years until his death, had ultimately cared for more than 10,000 orphans in England. All that without asking for a single penny, but depending on his gracious heavenly father, the very heavenly father who himself cares for the vulnerable in our society. What was George's motivation? He caught a glimpse of the character of God and understood the Lord's appeal to his servants in Isaiah chapter 58. And that should, this should be a keystone of our lives I believe, Joe, he says that the responsibility of the Christians is loose the chains of injustice. This is Isaiah 58. Untie the cords of the yoke. Set the oppressed free. Share your food with the hungry. Provide the poor wanderer with shelter. And when you see the naked, clothe them. Do away with the yoke of oppression. Spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. And then, of course, the result is the last verse there, verse 11, that the Lord will then supply in your needs.
3: Beautiful words, Will, beautiful words. There's nothing really that we can add to that. That is just well, well put. But just moving on from the first verse that you read for us, Deuteronomy, Ten seventeen, where God says, I am the God of gods and Lord of lords. And I don't show partiality. I don't take a bribe. I administer justice. I love the stranger. Throughout Deuteronomy, we are given admonitions to be like him. In Lygia, there are a few texts in Deuteronomy that actually, which command Um, the people of Israel not to take advantage, not to to be like him in a sense. Would you like to just share maybe a few of those verses and comment on them?
1: Yes. So in Deuteronomy, we can find quite few principles on how to treat those that uh, have hit hard times and may find themselves in court or a stranger in the land. So um, God says that is what I am like, and as you are my people, you are to conduct the, yourselves the same. We read in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 1, verse 6, Hear the cases between your brethren, judge righteously between a man and his brother or with a stranger who is with him, do not show partiality. In Deuteronomy 16, 19, you shall not pervert justice, you shall not show partiality, nor take a bribe. In chapter 24, verse 17, you shall not per- pervert justice of the or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge. In chapter 27, 19, says cursed is the one who perverts the justice due to the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say amen. So these are just um, a handful of texts uh, which condemn the actions of the corrupt who oppress and exploit the vulnerable of their own gain. Scripture, it's full of warnings, to not move boundary stones or use fair um, scales, uh, not taking bribes, uh, bearing false witness and some other things. So the stranger is mentioned in particular and uh, that justice was the right of all. So the stranger or the alien, it means those who we really don't know. Um, the lowest class and um, yeah, and others that we mentioned before
0: but just on on this one an application for our time, we are heading towards and people are talking this is not a, a secret anymore, you know, like uh, globalization you know you can see that the rich become richer um, you know and the poor become poorer, uh, even though we live in a in a very we live in a, in modern times and we still do those uh, mistakes which we are talking about here. How can we make a difference now today through this Bible study uh, as Christians to really show the true love of God towards us all? Not what the culture portrays, not what the times we live in portrays, but what God said And this is the point. We need to go back, maybe. We need to go back to learn again how God set up all these things right from the beginning. In the Old Testament, he was putting laws and guidance and invited people to follow them to live all together happily. I believe this is the thing. We are in a time and a position that we hate each other more. Look at this, even through the, uh, through this pandemic and uh, a separation in between people and hatred. I witnessed myself yesterday just how a person, I was just parking in front of, uh, just stopped the car parking somewhere. And I was kind of in, in front of a house, obstructing. It's true. That was my mistake, obstructing maybe the, the driveway of some people. But I was praying. I was praying and they came so agitated and, you know, angry, move the car from here, move the car from here, instead of say, hey, excuse me, can you please, or some, you know, address it differently. We are annoyed with each other. We hate each other. The invitation here is to go back to the real deal, which God showed us right from the beginning.
3: Yes. Thank you, Nick. It seems that the stranger is mentioned over over and over again, that God is very concerned that the rights of those who have no other defender, um, there's no one, no comeback. We could tr- mistreat them. We could, uh, deceive them. We could deceive them and uh, steal from them. And they really, they, there's no one to defend their cause. And so it comes through over and over again that they were to be given equal footing with uh, those that were Israelites. Now, Lynn, why did God emphasise the importance of treating strangers, if you like, and those seeking sanctuary among them. Um, And how does that or does it even go back to their sojourn in Egypt?
2: All right. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 19, the Lord gives them a command and then he gives a reason. He says, therefore, love the stranger for you were strangers in the land of Egypt that these people could think back to the fact that they were slaves in Egypt, were being harshly mistreated, didn't like what was happening to them. This was to be an object lesson to them in their treatment of others. And so this is commended for, uh, for the people back then, but it's also commended for us now. Jesus said, and it was earlier quoted in this program, do to others... As you would have them do unto you So the reason was the fact that these people themselves Now in a position of power When they were not in a position of power Were being badly mistreated And when we talk about strangers in the modern context We could talk about somebody we don't know Maybe a foreigner, an immigrant, a newcomer even an itinerant, anyone who comes, we come across who we haven't had anything to do with before must be treated like we would treat our best friends.
3: Or how we'd like to be treated ourselves too. Yes. Now, Israel always struggled with caring for others, going by what the minor prophets, um, when God spoke through the minor prophets and the major prophets for that matter too. They always struggled, and so we're no different, Um, especially those that were not of themselves. And what makes it possible to have a genuine concern for the welfare of others, particularly those we perceive as strangers? I believe you've touched on that, Lynn. Um, How is it even possible? Because we know that natural heart finds it difficult to think of anyone else apart from itself. Um, And even when it does, it's putting itself at the top of the list. To see people, especially people we don't agree with, we don't feel belong here or perceived to be strangers, to see them as God sees them is a very hard thing to do. We've already mentioned that, but it's good to to um, reiterate it. There is a text in Deuteronomy 10.16, and it tells us what do we need to truly love and care for the stranger in our life. Now, something needs to happen because the natural heart Fights against it So uh, perhaps I don't know Len have you got that scripture Open Deuteronomy ten sixteen.
2: Yes I do <clears throat> Rather unusual text It's about circumcision Before I read the text Circumcision was to be A sign uh, For the Israelites that they Were God's people And the Lord said therefore circumcise The foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. In other words, in our own hearts, our own thinking, our own psyche, we are to recognise that as God's people, we have to treat others the same as we would treat those we really like and perhaps our family or good friends. So this is the thing here, to become completely... God's and show that we're God's people through our actions to others.
4: I think the imagery here, uh, Joe and panel, circumcision is part of the um, covenant. God is, as it were, saying here, if you enter a covenant with me, it means a covenant involving your heart as well, that you treat others as you would like to be treated yourself. It's part of our covenantal relationship with God to treat others as we would like to be treated ourselves.
3: Now, in Romans 2, 28 to 29, uh, it says, For he is not a Jew, a true Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision. That's not the circumcision God was wanting to teach them, which is outward in the flesh. And Len, you've already mentioned that. But he is a Jew, a true Jew, which is one inwardly of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. Ezekiel also gives us, um, Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. 26, this is a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And so, when this circumcision of the heart takes place, it's a spiritual thing. It's not an outward thing. We find that it is a lot easier to love the unlovable, to see them as God sees them. I guess while we're on this planet, will always it'll always be a struggle. Nick, this is a really big topic. Would you mind summarizing um, how you see the circumcision of the heart?
0: yes joe indeed it it is a big subject, and we are always looking now comparing you know Israel and their experience because it's history, and we can learn a lot of things uh, from that now just a a point before I say uh, something else, I just want to say that um you know Israel they have big problem with the uh, um treating nice their neighbors, you know, I mean, or other people, particularly those who are not among themselves. And that's a God is appealing to them. Hey, um even though through circumcision I wanted you to know that you are a special people, you know, call for a special purpose. Uh, but you misunderstood of uh all that concept and I'm urging you to circumcise your hearts and not to be, to say one thing and do the other. You know, you're supposed to be, uh, what I want you to be. And, and Joe, I believe in every few words here to circumcise our hearts is to crucify self and allow Jesus to come into our hearts and live in our hearts and to work the things which needs to be done. That's probably, in a nutshell, what we should do. Invite Jesus to come in our hearts and really uh, take care of everything. could ask the question,
4: does how we treat the stranger or our neighbor impact our salvation? Is it uh, the reason that we are kind? Is it to earn favor with God? Or can uh, can we, um, what is the real reason why we do things like that? James chapter 1, verse 26, gives the answer, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You know, I'm tempted to argue, well, I'm living in a prosperous country where there are institutions and paid personnel to care for the vulnerable, and I will excuse myself of that responsibility. I encounter a challenge, the challenge of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, and it's somewhat indicting the principle uh, in the story of the sheep and the goats. If I may read it, uh, Joe, um, when the Son of Man comes, Jesus says, in his glory and all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from the other as sh- a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his le- right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, come, you blessed by, blessed of my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. Interestingly, the Lord replies in verse 40, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. He asks the same question of the the goats on his left-hand side, and they they answer, well, when did we see you? Jesus says to them, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do, For one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. You know, I think, Joe, that uh, this really expresses to me the, the nature, the disposition that we are supposed to have. I think God calls on us to have a heart of compassion, love, slow to judge, a disposition of tender care and understanding, and that others may perceive that we are adopted into the family of God. I must say uh, that I can confess I'm still weak and making mistakes, as we all are, not treading delicately. And I'd like to just uh, close my remarks with with a poem that expresses my condition. I just don't want to keep damaging the things that I carelessly touch. Let me speak gently, I say. Touch tenderly. Understand deeply. Uh, God help us. But here is the poem. These clumsy feet of mine, still in the mire, go, crushing blossoms without end. These hard, well-meaning hands we thrust among the heartstrings of a friend. We're so hasty to hurt and so slow to be compassionate and kind and loving. Let's more learn more from our Saviour Jesus and the God whom we serve, how we should
3: live. Lynn?
2: Just before we um, finish off today, there's a text in 1 John 3.18 that I think is very worthy of us to take notice of. I'm going to give a paraphrase version. That's this. Love is not just words and talk. It's true love that shows itself in action. In fact, when you think about it, you cannot really demonstrate love just by saying you love somebody. It has to be demonstrated, otherwise you won't really know what it is.
3: Thank you, Len. I was just wondering if you wouldn't mind doing the conclusion.
2: Yes, I'm happy to do that. Well, listeners, all this has given us plenty to think about, to examine our own attitudes and actions towards the strangers in our lives. God does not know any strangers, and maybe we should not see any as strangers. But, fellow travellers, it's all too easy to place a greater value on the outward appearance, an outward conformity to the requirements of God as we see them, than experiencing a spiritual rebirth, an internal regeneration of our hearts, God replacing our prejudiced, calloused heart with a new heart, enabling us to show a selfless, agape love to others. We, as Christians, must be a light that shows the love of God through the way we caringly treat others. It has been said that you and I may be the only gospel someone will read. They shall know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another is what Jesus said, and may we add now how we treat the strangers amongst us.
3: Thank you for that, Lynn. Will, would you mind closing this really interesting discussion we've had today with um, a prayer for us? Thank you.
4: Sure. Lord, it's not hard for us to understand that we need to become more like you. Please develop within us a caring and understanding heart. To the healing benefit of those around us. I ask this in Jesus name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you everybody for being part of this discussion today and uh, listening to this uh, program. I invite you to join us uh, back next time when we are going to look uh, for another topic, very good one uh, for uh, what nation is there So great. Today, many people are, you know, just focusing on the greatest uh, nation and the powerful. Let's uh, come back and learn what God is teaching us about this. Until then, may God richly bless you and have a wonderful walk with our Lord Jesus Christ.